sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Huge news out of the NBA bubble. Zero. Yes, that's right. Zero out of the 346 players have tested positive for COVID-19 since July 13th. Obviously, very positive news. Alex Len will be one of several Kings sitting out Wednesday's scrimmage. Len recently recovered from COVID-19 and said that he felt that for over three weeks, which included a loss of smell and taste. In baseball, Angels manager Joe Madden said Monday that he's not certain Anthony Rendon will be ready for opening day. Rendon, who signed a seven-year, $245 million deal with the Angels this winter, remains bothered by lingering oblique tightness and soreness. Astros manager Dusty Baker noted Monday that Ryan Presley will probably open as the Astros' primary closer if Roberto Ozuna is not ready. Ozuna has yet to throw off a mound since arriving late to Astros' summer camp. Yet the athletics placed left-handed pitcher A.J. Puck on the 10-day injured list with a left shoulder strain. Chris Paddock has been confirmed as the Padres' opening day starter versus the Diamondbacks. Brandon Belt will open the 2020 season on the Giants' injured list. Belt has been bothered by heel soreness for most of summer camp. And the Brewers have placed left-handed pitcher Brett Anderson on the 10-day injured list with a blister on his index finger. That could open up a spot in the rotation for the very talented yet erratic Corbin Burns. He has electric stuff. And we'll see how this plays out. Pirates president Travis Williams did confirm in a statement Monday that his team is working with the Blue Jays and MLB on the possibility of sharing PNC Park. We seem to be steps closer to the National Football League returning on time this fall. The NFL on Monday made an offer to the NFL PA to play no preseason games this summer. That's according to multiple sources, ESPN with the report as well. The players had been pushing to not play any preseason games this year, while the league had most recently been seeking to play two games instead of the usual four. The league's proposal to the players also includes an offer for a longer training camp acclimation period. That's according to ESPN's Dan Graziano, and that is closer to what the union has proposed thus far. Free agent wide receiver Antonio Brown tweeted out that he was done playing football to the third time since September that Brown has announced some form of retirement. NFL Network's Ian Rappaport reporting 49ers running back Raheem Mostert Moving forward, I'm Dan Straffer and this has been your Sports Grid News Update. All right, thanks very much, Dan. Appreciate it. And uh, hopefully Raheem Mostert is back on the field or else I'm going to owe Joe some money at the end of the year. So I don't <laughs> like to hear that. That's, uh, that's, that's for sure. Um, okay, so back to baseball we go. We'll have plenty of time for football as we get closer to uh, training camp. And one of the things that seems to be happening, Joe, in the last 24 hours and the next 48 hours, our teams are going to set their 30-man roster for the season. And to be clear, it is a 30-man to start the season, and in a couple of weeks it goes to 28, and then it goes to 26. The reason for this is clearly because there hasn't been a lot of lead time to get pitchers ready and to get players ready for the 2020 season. If you guys choose to adjust your fantasy teams one way or the other, we'll certainly leave that up to you. But that does not mean that there are no position battles going on right now. And one in particular that I wanted to touch on with you, Joe, on today's show is the one in Chicago with the White Sox. And um, I think at this stage, it's probably a safe assumption that even though the White Sox have looked awesome in Camp 2.0 and Eloy Jimenez is hitting home runs and Lewis Robert is, is hitting home runs and doubling and tripling, 
Uh, they got a decision to make at second base, and here are the two candidates that are potentially uh, players that could be the second baseman for the White Sox in 2020. Now, the player that you see there on the left is Nick Madrigal, who was their first-round pick a couple of years ago and did not disappoint at three different levels last year. Of course, he was great at LSU and uh, 377 OBP with four home runs between single-A, double-A, and triple-A and has really impressed the White Sox as well. On the flip side, you have Lurie Garcia, who is a fantastic defender, but also showed some pop last year with eight home runs and 15 stolen bases, Joe. And so I think while Madrigal is probably the second baseman of the future, I wonder how quickly that future comes. And I think that while Garcia may start off the season as the second baseman, if the White Sox get any kind of really run here, I think that there's a chance that they may turn to Madrigal at some point, whether it's second base or maybe even part-time DH. Well, there's definitely a chance for that. I think what you want to do when you're evaluating the situation is think logically, because right now, I think the White Sox, especially without the availability of Michael Kopech this season, there's a lot of stress in the back end of this rotation. And when they're stressed in the rotation, I think you want to look for the best defender. And although Madrigal is good in the field, he's not Garcia. And I think Garcia is really the guy that's going to help them out. So much to the chagrin of all those prospect people out there who want all the young kids to always come up, it might take a little longer. And not only that, what can Nick Madrigal really give you? He's not a big-time power guy. He does make good contact. So, yeah, he can give you some batting average. Yes, he can give you some stolen bases. But Madrigal is also another one of these guys I look at as a better baseball player than necessarily a great fantasy asset. So neither of these guys really move the needle for me in a shortened season two. I would not be overpaying for Nick Madrigal. And if you're in AL-only leagues, I actually think that Garcia might get a more playing time than people realize and if there is an injury to somebody else that guy is going to be the one to slide over you would see him up if Moncada missed time or tim anderson missed time garcia is the one who could move around positions and possibly play there as well my take on this is basically don't go overboard with nick madrigal this year i think long term he's still the better asset obviously he's got the higher profile of a prospect but i think right now i think what the white Sox need most is garcia's glove and i think you're gonna get more of that in 2020 than people realize well rick renteria was asked the question about the second base competition between madrigal and lurie garcia and just how far it's come and where it could potentially be headed and specifically uh, the chances of Madrigal opening up on the team's 30-man roster? I think that uh, we're going to continue to look at everything that happens uh, to us with these guys for the next few days. Obviously, we've had guys that have shown us uh, through their experience and their their, their ability to do the, the things that, the, that we need them to do in terms of filling that spot, potentially at second base. Um, certainly, all of them are in the mix. And the question is, you know, will this potentially, could this potentially help or hurt or hinder? I think he's, it depends on the individual. And I think he's an individual that's just taking this particular time, uh, like I said, to continue to work at Camelback Ranch. He was doing a lot of things. Uh, coming here again, just feeling more and more comfortable in his own skin. I think it's a, a case by case basis, to be honest. Uh, I still think that you consider if it can be harmful or, or helpful. Uh, probably be both of those things are accurate. It can be both helpful and harmful, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, but you want to make sure that the decisions that we do make uh, are best suited for uh, the best interests of that young man and the organization as it moves forward. All right, so that's Rick Renteria really not tipping his hand on who the second baseman may be, but at least leaving the door open yeah. potentially for Madrigal to be on the team. But that's that's. that's 
typical manager stuff, Joe. And then you got to be like me. You got to dig in a little deeper, start the text. I know. Jeez. Talk about the art of saying something with saying nothing. I mean, that was the most managerial. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to talk in platitudes and talk in cliches and not give you any kind of indication. Oh, my God, was that painful. But it was a good job by him. He's really mastered. He showed why he deserves a shot at the manager job. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what that's what all managers do. But there's always a little truth in there that you got to you know sort of dig out. That's what I've learned through the years, too. All right. Brendan mm-hmm. Rogers, a few years ago, was a first round pick of the Colorado Rockies. And look, out of Lake Mary High School in Florida, I saw this kid play in tournaments and thought, wow, this kid puts a little pounds on and he is going to be a superstar with the Rockies. In fact, I got him ahead of Hampson. I got him ahead of Ryan McMahon. I got him ahead of everyone except Arenado in that infield. And, you know, Trevor Story, too, of course. But look, Rogers in 2019 absolutely crushed AAA and hit 413, nine home runs. They call him up, can't hit anything, nothing. Hit 272 OBP in 81 games, had a shoulder issue, had surgery. Missed the end of the season, missed all of spring training 1.0 in March. And then, Joe, he has come back, and he has been one of the stars of their camp in spring 2.0. And so I'm guessing he's going to make the team. But, Joe, with the way that the Rockies do their business, it's really hard to project who is going to get playing time. And another perfect example was just given of that yesterday, where the Rockies announced that Matt Kemp made their team. Remember, this is a player that the Marlins discarded a couple of weeks ago, and the Rockies have picked him up to maybe even be their primary designated hitter. I mean, they're just mind-blowing, this organization. I can't figure them out some, sometimes, and I would think that this would be a great time to have Rodgers be their designated hitter and get him some hitting in this two months, because you know the Rockies aren't going to be very good, but maybe they're using Kemp as, as a trade chip at some point. I don't know. It's not, not a great decision, as far as I'm concerned. No, it's very confusing. I mean, I thought that the Ian Desmond opt-out along with the DH edition was a spot you could move Daniel Murphy to, and all of a sudden you get some at-bats opened up for maybe a guy like Rogers, maybe Hilliard, some of these guys are going to play more. I think Kemp is more of a depth issue at this point. I think that's what he's there for. You really want to get Daniel Murphy into that DH spot. I think you want to get him off the field with the bad knee. I, I just, you know, you watch him in the field. It's, it's, he was never a great defender to begin with, but going back to Rogers, you know, I always like to look at the double A stats of a player when I'm evaluating them and 95 games two years ago in double A, this guy hit 17 home runs, stole uh, 15 bases. I mean, this is a guy that certainly has upside in fantasy and if you can get that bat in Colorado that is really encouraging uh a problem is I'm with you I think this is just a really muddy situation for these 60 games I think it's something you want to buy in now for 2021 wherever you can well Rogers did speak to the media a couple of days ago about some of the things that he was working on during the pandemic and certainly one of his main focuses was strengthening his shoulder and getting a little bit bigger up top just really focused on getting my uh, that extra time kind of worked out in my favor and um i really i really got to it in the gym on my shoulder uh, anything upper body obviously trying to strengthen my shoulder get it as strong as uh as it was before pre-surgery and uh you know i just had fun lifting weights i got to lift with drew i was lifting with zach veen i was lifting with a bunch of guys and you know we just made 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 fun of it and uh at the end of the day, I, I guess I came out a lot stronger than uh, than usual. I did put on like 10, 10 or so pounds, lost some lost some bad weight. So uh, no, I feel I feel great right now. And hopefully we'll get to see that transition into the regular season, uh, provided that 
I mean, Brendan Rodgers keeps that goatee and beard. Maybe Joe Pizzapia will have that in time, too. Maybe that's something that Joe will work on to get a little bit more, you know, thick. Yeah, I'm working on uh, bulking up the hair up top like Rodgers has got. That's that's what I'm yeah, working that, on. Yeah, that's I'm an impossibility. I've tried that the hard way. Doesn't doesn't work. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on to our final uh, piece of discussion here in baseball. Uh, look, why are we talking about Christian Yelich? He's the best player, one of the best players in the world. He's one of the best players in the National League. He's an MVP two years ago. He had a great year last year. Look at that war, seven war and thirty home runs. But remember, it's been a while since we've seen Yelich on a field, and he didn't play at all in the early part of spring training. And the early reports, too, out of Milwaukee for Summer Camp 2.0 were not very good. One for eight with three strikeouts, and the at-bats did not look that great. Craig Council, who is the manager of the Milwaukee Brewers, was asked about what in the world has Yelich, what's been going on with him? How is he looking thus far? So it's strange to see, and he's working his tail off to to try to get out of it and and feel good um and it's 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 baseball and we're all i think it's a it's kind of a reminder that every every player goes through it it happens to every player um it's happening at a really good time for us in my opinion this is how it works um so it's he's just got to get through it and and he will and um He'll laugh about it, and but it also I think it will also serve him well throughout his career that this is part of part of the game that never stops, no matter what you know. And I think he knows it. I mean, he's we've talked about it. He's talked about it that um, it's it's a great reminder that it's hard. The game is really hard, and um, you can you can work your tail off and and still not get the feedback from it that you want, um, but. He's going to keep working, and he'll figure it out, and he'll be fine. Joe, that's the thought process from the manager as a fantasy owner of Yellow. Any concern that he hasn't looked right? Take a good look right here at this face. This face is 0% concerned about Christian Yelich in 2020. It's one for eight. That's two days, guys. Let's Let's not panic, please. All right. Well, the reporters who watch them every day have a little bit of a concern. That, to me, is a little bit concerning. But we'll see if it means anything when the lights go on on Friday night for the Milwaukee Brewers. Coming up next, Christian Yellen, more of a stolen face guy. Touch on him next. Game time decision. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back, Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia. You can catch our show on demand 24 hours a day, seven days a week over on our YouTube channel, youtube.com. Make sure you like and subscribe to Sports Grid. Make sure you also turn your notifications to on. And every day we send these shows over there so you can catch us on demand. If you miss anything or miss any part of the shows or any part of the discussions that we're having on specific players that can help you in fantasy, also maybe help you in reality, gambling, if you're just a big fan of sports, that's what we're here uh, for you to do. Now, Joe, uh, we talked about uh, Christian Yelich 
in terms of the kind of season that he could potentially have in 2020. And if you missed it, uh, some of the reporters that have covered the Brewers have basically seen him. And I guess there is some, you know, a little bit of worry that he doesn't look like himself, which is the first time he hasn't been out of this world, maybe in a few years. Regardless of that, he's one of the best stolen base efficiency leaders in all of Major League Baseball. And maybe that is something that could translate over to a short season. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing. When you're looking in fantasy for stolen bases this year, you know, obviously there's the big volume guys, the VRs of the world, the Trey Turners of the world. But, you know, I also think it's even more important in this shorter season to focus really on the guys who are very efficient at stealing bases, guys that get caught very often. Because here's the thing, like you look at some of these totals and the guys that get caught a lot, even though they're putting up 25, they get caught 12 times. That's not a good return necessarily. So you need guys who are going to be efficient, guys who are going to really be good on that. And, you know, looking at last year too, Christian Yelich was one of those guys that absolutely came through with that. 30 stolen bases was caught just twice. So in terms of efficiency, basically, this guy wasn't even breaking unless he knew he could steal that base. And that just kind of adds to his value as a obviously top three overall player in fantasy. But it's one of those things to consider in this shortened season as well. Draw Dyson, another guy who's going to get probably every day at bats, even by default with the Pittsburgh Pirates. We keep talking about you know, the la- the lack of depth of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Well, Dyson's one of these guys that he's not going to hit a lot, but he is going to steal you some bases. Stole 30 last year, got caught just four times. Tommy Pham, another one who uh, I think does not get enough credit as what kind of all-around player he is. He's in a better situation here, I think, in uh, San Diego. He's going to be hitting this two-spot here in front of uh, some really good hitters, guys like Fernando Tatis, guys like Manny out there. And uh, I'll tell you what, 25 stolen bases, caught ceiling just four times. Colton Wong, a very, I would say, sneaky Craig uh, stolen base guy, a guy that has been very up and down over his career, more down than up. Sheer really started to come into his own a little bit and maybe becoming the player that the Cardinals had hoped he would be. You look at the stolen base numbers last year, 24 seals caught just four times. So if you're looking for some cheaper stolen bases, guys like Dyson, guys like Tommy Pham, and if you're going to pay up, pay up for a guy with stolen bases and power, a guy like Jose Ramirez, who's going to give you power and also caught just four times on 29 attempts, so 25 stolen bases for him. So what we're looking here is, guys, that if you're going to make a big investment or a small investment, we want the return of stolen bases to be a very good one, Craig, and that's, I think, the approach you want to take in a 60-game shortened season. Yeah, it's interesting to look at because I think that uh, four of the five players that we're discussing all have a chance to steal 10-plus bases in 2020, meaning uh, Yelich, Pham, Wong, and Jose Ramirez. Ironically, in the fantasy teams that I have drafted thus far, the only player that I have amongst these names is Gerard Dyson. And um, as we've talked about on a previous show, I really like the idea of having Gerard Dyson in April, May, and June as the leadoff hitter for the Pirates over a 90-day period and maybe stealing 15 or 20 bases. My concern for him now, and that has switched, is because the Pirates are probably not going to be very good And if they're not very good, Dyson is a strong trade candidate. Now, he could end up somewhere else where he could still steal some bases, but whatever numbers that I would have had projected for Dyson at the beginning of the season, I would not have now. And so because of this condensed season, unfortunately for me, I think that that's going to end up being a busted pick. I'll take a counter-argument to that, which is 
maybe in 30 games he can do enough because so many guys may not be stealing bases or the stolen base numbers are going to be so suppressed overall that maybe just maybe he can contribute enough even in half of these games if he's playing every day just from a volume standpoint of getting at-bats, getting the opportunities. That If you're in a season-long Roto League, I can understand that. Now, if you're in a head-to-head category league, I understand there's certainly downside to him. There's downside on a weekly basis because of how much contact he's going to make. There's downside because of the lack of power of Gerard Dyson. And there's also downside because we we know what the player is. And at any given time, if they decide, you know what, we're going to go younger, we're going to bring up some more kids and let them play. So there's a lot of negatives. But there might be enough of a positive window, at least, with Gerard Dyson in the Pirates, where you could actually get maybe eight, nine stolen bases out of him in the first 30 games of the season. And that could really make a difference in those season-long Roto numbers. And and I want to talk about a guy there in this group, too, that I think, uh, you know, you talk about the premium talent, the guys like Yelich, the guys like Jose Ramirez, but Tommy Pham kind of rests right in that middle ground where I think he's just a really good return on investment. He's going to score runs. He's going to hit for a decent batting average. He's got power. He's got speed. He's got it all. And he also doesn't come with the same price tag of some of the other guys like Jose Ramirez, who's, you know, not incredibly different in terms of statistical profile, certainly better, but not incredibly difficult. And then think when you're looking at auction values and these redrafts that are going on right now, it's something to consider that if you miss out on a really quality power speed guy, that a nice pivot for a cheaper price might just be a Tommy. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on Colton Wong? Is this a guy that we're finally seeing kind of come into his own, Craig, or is Colton Wong to you continuously the enigma that he's been the last few years up until 2019? Yeah, well, now with him being a gold glover uh, at this stage, I don't see him sitting. And that was always a concern for me against some really tough left-handed pitchers. And Edmund, of course, is there. But I, I do think Wong is an everyday player. So, uh, you know, look, he, I don't think he'll ever be a superstar, but he was given a long-term deal by the Cardinals a couple of years ago. He did win a gold glove and rewarded them for that investment. So I think he is their second base of the past, present, and future right now. So uh, no issues with him at all. Now, in terms of steals, there are some leagues in fantasy that when you get caught stealing, you lose a point. And those exist in points leagues. Sometimes leagues have these efficiency stats, as we're talking about, where it's net steals as opposed to just stolen bases, which means you take the stolen bases and you subtract the caught stealings, and then that's the number that you get at the end. It just depends on the kind of fantasy league that you're in. And even from a DFS perspective, we'll have to dive in that when the league begins on Thursday or Friday. But here is a list of the players who did steal bases last year, but were also not as efficient while they were doing it. And Whit Merrifield of the Kansas City Royals had 30 attempts, but only stole 20 bases. Ahmed Rosario, this is one I can't figure out. He's got all kinds of speed. 29 attempts, got caught uh, stolen bases 10 times. Lorenzo Cain uh, on this show basically said that he had to do a better job of picking his spots in terms of steals. Maybe that's a lot less attempts for him. I'm not sure, but he was 18 out of, out of 26. Uh, Marcus Simeon is not a base stealer, so I don't know why he even tried 18 times last year, but he did. He got caught eight times. And then Rugnet Odor is just trying to do anything that could salvage his sort of value. Uh, nine caught stealings in, in 20 attempts. And so, uh, Joe, these are, these are guys, especially at the bottom here, that are really negatively affecting fantasy. You're losing, you're, you're in the negative almost on Odor. And with Simeon, you're only like at a plus two. And so it just kind of depends on the league format. I get from a reality point of view the way that this could change is a manager has to get in the ear of these guys and say, hey, look, like you're you're not doing this the right way. A player very similar to this was George Springer for the Houston Astros for many years mm-hmm. in the yeah. minor league. This guy was a 40 stolen base guy, but he was also a 20 caught stolen base guy too. Now, guy doesn't steal bases anymore. 
Yeah, look, there's a trap here, and the trap is seeing these overall numbers and saying, oh, good, Simeon, uh, Whitmerville, these are guys that can give me really great production and some stolen bases. But at what cost? Because here's the thing to understand. Yeah, maybe over 162 games, somebody's going to steal 10 bags uh, in the case of Marcus Simeon, but he's going to get caught <laughs> so much that you have to really cut that expectation number lower because of the inefficiency of the stolen base for a guy like Simeon. And it's not, it's not going to knock down your value of the player. It's just something to factor in, even in season-long roto, of what you expect potentially out of a player in the 60-game season. When I'm looking at these guys, look, Whit Merrifield is a guy that I'm drafting no matter what. Uh, because there's not a lot of guys that have 200 hits on a team like the Royals and can still hit 15-plus home runs and steal your bases. But again, if you are counting on stolen bases from Whit Merrifield, from Marcus Simeon, or even Ahmed Rosario, you have to kind of factor in their their success rate because success rate is not very good. Rosario is another one. You're right. It's absolutely puzzling because of the speed. It reminds me of Roger Cedeno back in the day, a guy who had all the speed in the world and couldn't steal bases until Ricky Henderson on the Mets at the same time as him, taught him how to get uh, the right lead, taught him how to look for tips of pitchers and, and what they're doing and what their delivery is going to be like. And there's certain nuances to stealing bases. It's not just raw athleticism and speed, because as you point out, George Springer, another guy stole a lot of bases in the minor leagues, did not really equate to the major league level. And when you're evaluating those guys, it's not just about what kind of speed they have. It's what kind of base runner they have and how much of a student of the stolen base they can become. And I think it's just interesting and important to note, not only in some leagues where there's negatives and points leagues for caught stealing, this thing can kind of bite you at certain spots, but also just what you're counting on or what your expectations are. You really can't look at this player and just look at the stolen base without looking looking at the caught steals as well. So is there a guy on this list that you had a shot on regardless of that, besides the talent of, of Merrifield or the talent of a guy like Simeon? Is Lorenzo Cain a guy that you think can improve on what he did last year or maybe didn't? Yeah, I think Merrifield at the top is the one that I would I would probably say was just a little bit unlucky. I'd have to go back and, and look at the numbers and specifically what happened. But I'll tell you, the, the most interesting part of stolen bases and how it has changed so much now is Major League Baseball organizations, and specifically the people who were involved in analytics and advanced metrics, aren't really looking at guys in terms of stolen bases. They're looking at that first and second step from first base to second base and seeing how fast they get off the base. And that oftentimes will determine whether or not a player just has the universal green light. And I know that doesn't go for all teams, but there's been several that I know that do this. And so simply put, a player may be very fast, but if he doesn't have the right base running coach, or better yet, if he's on first, and when he shifts over to go towards second and takes his first and second step, if he's not getting off and out of that box really quickly, it doesn't matter how fast he is. He's losing a second or two just trying to get to that next level. And so... I don't know that that would apply to all of these, and certainly the Major League Baseball teams, Joe, are not going to provide me with their analytics department and tell me which one of these guys can't do that. But I would guess that that's predominantly a reason why some of these guys are getting caught that often. And conversely, a guy like Juan Soto, Joe, I know this also from last year, uh, Juan Soto is not the fastest player, but he is fantastic at reading the pitcher and also that first step from first to second base and Soto ended up stealing more than 20 bases last year. Yeah, and if there's two categories this year in fantasy baseball to be really careful about, 
it saves and stolen bases because we really don't know how it's all going to shake out and how it, what it's going to look like. This is not a regular season by any stretch of the means. And I think you want to be very aggressive on the guys you think are going to have big volume opportunities for stolen bases. So be aggressive on the VRs. Be aggressive on the trade turners right now in these redrafts. I think that's a smart way to do it just because then you know you've basically locked in your best chance to be successful in that category if you're playing in that style. And conversely, take into account if you're trying to piecemeal it together with these guys like, well, I'm going to take uh, maybe I'll get a certain number from Rosario and a guy like Odor can give me a few. They might not be able to give you as much as you think they're going to give you because their inefficiency is really more of a detriment. And it's just something to point out here in this tournament situation that we're in. And it's not that you can't draft these guys. It's just understanding drafting them and relying on them for certain categories are two different things. And you have to separate that in your mind. Yeah, the most interesting dynamic, I think, uh, as it pertains to that for the 2020 season, is the 10th inning. And how many times no. that players right. are going to pinch run for and uh, with two outs, maybe being asked to steal third base, depending on who's at the plate, to try and get that run across the plate, because that's an element we've never seen before. I don't think it'll happen a lot, a lot, a lot with no outs or one out, but with two outs and a runner on second base and a light hitter at the plate, I think that there's a chance that they may let that guy try to get to third and say, hey, maybe a squibber gives us the game-winning run. So something to keep an eye on as the Major League season gets ready kick off on Thursday. We'll take a quick break and be back with the latest in the NBA right after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back, Fantasy Sports Today, Craig and Joe. As we wrap up this hour, we're going to be right back with you for another hour coming up here at 1 o'clock Eastern. So make sure you stay tuned right here to SportsGrid and SportsGrid.com. And, Joe, the really good news, I would say, in the sports world today was tweeted out yesterday where the NBA is essentially looking at a 0% positivity for COVID testing uh, when they retested all of their players, this is obviously great news, and it just goes to show you what 1.5 is it million or billion <laughs> dollars can buy by putting all of your players up and putting them in a bubble. And and I would say that of all of the leagues, the NBA you know, certainly has attempted and succeeded in doing this the right way. We don't know what the product is going to look like because, simply put, the arenas are now being. Uh, you know, plastered with all kinds of interesting signage and things of that nature. I don't know if the games will be fun, competitive, what they'll be like to watch. I have no idea. But is that even really important? We're keeping all of these guys healthy and safe. So kudos to the NBA. Yeah, great job there by the NBA. Uh, and great job by the players who are following the rules for the most part, obviously. And I think that is the biggest takeaway for me. You know, you can put everything in place properly. But if you don't have everybody going along accordingly, all of a sudden you have uh, another issue on your hands. So good job by everybody there, the higher-ups, the organization, and the players as well, for everybody getting together, trying to finish this the right way. And yes, all the other players, specifically in MLB and NFL, should take good notice of what's going on here. 
All right. Well, we have so much to talk about coming up here at the top of the hour. And very specifically, it is very unclear at this point as a fantasy football player, if you're going to have any of the 2020 training camp or even preseason to evaluate outside of reading tweets on Twitter. Wow. That is something brand new. We've always had video of training camp and preseason games to watch maybe not so much this year and fans that's like even another story altogether uh furthermore the new york mets open up their season on friday will jacob Degrom be taking the mound opening day for the mets and will the mets make the postseason in 2020 we'll head on over to the FanDuel sportsbook joe and i will dive into that discussion when we return for the second hour of fantasy sports today here on sports grid so stay on the grid we're right back SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 